This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started Self Work about three and a half years ago because I wanted to reach people who might already be enjoying a therapeutic relationship or know a lot about psychology or emotional functioning. But I also wanted to reach people who might have just been initially diagnosed or might never darken the door of a therapist, but were interested enough to tune in. As this podcast is being recorded when so many of us are staying home with family, we're enjoying the strengths of the relationships we've built, but also perhaps bearing up under the brunt of ones that aren't what we'd hoped they would be. Or maybe you're home alone and wishing you had someone to be in relationship with. Today we're going to be talking about sabotaging a relationship, and I'll give you five different ways that can happen, and then of course, as always, what you can do about it. And the listener email today is one that's very timely, and we're going to spend a good bit of time on it. It's about what you're seeing in your relationships now that you're on lockdown or shelter in place or whatever you're calling it. But this email is from a woman who isn't able to escape how there's no sense of partnership or even enjoyment of being together, and therefore she feels lonelier than ever. So thanks to all of you for being here. And today we're going to talk about how to avoid relationship self-sabotage. I'm not exactly sure why the idea of self-sabotage came to me today, but I decided to talk about it and how it affects your relationships. I've picked out five ways, but of course there are a myriad of ways to make sure a relationship goes wrong. Sabotaging can be very conscious, there was an old movie with Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey about, I think the name of it was How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Both of them had an agenda. Matthew McConaughey had made a bet that he could make a girl fall in love with him in 10 days, while Kate Hudson had also said she wanted to learn about how to get rid of a guy in 10 days. So obviously it was quite amusing. And of course, since it's a movie, they fell in love. Let, let me make clear that we're not going to necessarily discuss today serious mental health issues that make relationships more difficult. We're actually going to focus on what people who don't suffer with those issues can still do to relationships and themselves to sabotage or ruin it. The actual definition of the word states that sabotage is intentional, very known to the person or organization or government that's doing it. Bullies know they're bullying. Teenage girl cliques who want to make another girl feel awful to make themselves feel better abound. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about self-sabotage. You do this unwittingly most of the time until you do it enough to where you recognize the pattern and hopefully stop. So what are these self-sabotaging choices or behaviors or patterns? The first one is that you commit too quickly or for the wrong reasons. You took information in about this relationship and through the eyes of lust love only really saw what you wanted to see. And then you can begin to weave a story, a fairy tale, basically, of how things will be, what will happen next and how it will just be so wonderful. You envision happiness and contentedness and fulfillment. 
the things in real life that you're a little uncomfortable with, oh, they'll change. I just know it. These concerns are pushed aside, and so instead of taking time, instead of waiting to see what knowing someone for a year or two will be like, instead of moving slowly forward toward an increased commitment, instead of listening to see if your soon-to-be partner actually takes responsibility for themselves, you joyfully dive in. And if you've had sex already, it was really good, or you think they're very attractive or have money or whatever, then that can serve at least for a while as all the foundation you tell yourself you need. I had a patient one time who kept getting in these relationships with men who were quite narcissistic. They also happened to be wealthy. And I asked her where she was meeting them. She told me the name of this bar slash restaurant in town that serves like $18 drinks. <laughs> I told her she should go to some place that serves $4 beers, and maybe she wouldn't meet people like that. I also had a man whose wife actually exhibited some strong symptoms of borderline personality disorder before they married, but she was such a stunning woman that he ignored those problems. This kind of commitment can also happen with a victim-savior relationship, which I talked about in episode 69. So in these kind of relationships, everything's great. Everything's going to work out. The little voice inside your head starts chanting. But over time, a too-quick commitment can be a huge problem. The other thing is that you can commit to someone for the wrong reason, just like the people I was talking about earlier, a man wanting a very attractive wife or a woman wanting stability, financial stability. But you can commit for more wrong reasons other than those more external ones. You can commit out of shame, out of a need to escape your parents' home, or because you're angry with someone else or you're hurt. There are lots of reasons that set you up for lying to yourself about why you're committing and committing fast. And those reasons simply aren't good enough or they won't last long enough to sustain a real commitment. Now, another pattern that's quite the opposite of this is someone who's risk-averse. This way of self-sabotaging has also been called commitment phobia if you're someone who shies far away from commitment. Maybe you only saw anger or distrust between your parents and don't want any of that. Maybe you've already been hurt or it could be a problem with needing lots of control and actually even saying, I like you a lot, feels way too vulnerable. I've sometimes wondered if all the ghosting going on is really risk aversion, not wanting to reveal too much to anyone. Sometimes I'm sure it's just pure manipulation and a power grab, but I do wonder if the insecurity of people is growing so much that especially young men are ghosting a lot. And of course, just in case a risk-averse person, someone who avoids taking risks, if they hook up with someone whose agenda is to prove to them that they are that special someone who you can really trust, then that's not a match made in heaven. The third problem is if you play emotional games. Whenever I hear someone start talking about how much time they're going to plan to wait before texting someone back or applying to their story, I get worried that games are being played, even subtle ones. If you ask yourself the question, what will happen if I do this or don't say this or do say this? This kind of game can be supported by your friends who take way too much of an interest in the daily occurrences in your relationship 
and offer a lot of opinions that are often tied into stereotypes and even worse than that, racism or sexism or gender bias. If you're interested in someone, then games aren't necessary and they're just simply going to cause chaos. And sadly enough, many people keep doing this when it got started in dating and then continue it into their commitment. They say things like, I'm not going to talk to her until she proves to me that blah, blah, blah. The list is really endless. Researchers John and Julie Gottman point out that these protective or defensive strategies are the hallmark of doomed relationships. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. They actually call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which I've talked about before on self-work, which are the four signs that your relationship is not going to make it. The point of these four behaviors are to defend or protect yourself. And again, in good relationships, that doesn't need to happen. But what can happen is that these games you're playing will eventually ruin the relationship because you're not being honest with yourself or with your partner. You aren't taking responsibility of what's yours, and you're blaming, staying invulnerable, and creating misery for you and your partner. And actually, both of you can be caught in these very dark games. The fourth self-sabotaging technique or habit is quite different. Here it is. You look for what's wrong or decide a relationship will fail before it even gets started. There's a psychology researcher named Raquel Peel, who's actually done a TED Talk on this topic, says that she was a romantic self-saboteur. I'm quoting now, I assumed that people in my relationships would eventually leave me. I also assumed that all my relationships would fail. I'll actually have the link to her TED Talk in the show notes. So what is this belief based on? Certainly a lower self-worth, saying and believing things like, as soon as he sees the real me, he'll leave. I don't know how many of you may be older or maybe younger folks too, and have enjoyed the show Grace and Frankie on Netflix with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. But Jane's character, Grace, has this issue in a huge way. She's highly perfectionistic and so afraid of aging that when a younger man wants to be in her life, she picks herself apart and in one scene tears off her fake eyelashes and her hair extensions and all her makeup and cries out, is this what you want? Because this is the real me. Of course, he swooped her up in his arms. It's a TV show. But we can all fear that if someone discovers more about you, whether it's something physical, something you feel shame about, something you tell yourself is intolerable, you can put up such a wall around yourself that no one would be able to climb. Or, again, one of the things was you looking for what's wrong. You could pick someone else apart as if there's supposed to be a perfect match for you out there. I've heard more than once, well, I'm not interested in anyone who has kids, or I could never move. Well, those beliefs may or may not limit you, but if you have too many of those beliefs or rules, it's going to be much harder to find someone who fits the bill. But actually, isn't it interesting, because we probably all know people who became interested and even fell in love with someone whose life didn't look at all like the person they thought, or always thought, they'd be attracted to or even marry. And yet, love happened anyway. This last one is that someone doesn't soak up positives. I often see this after someone has been badly manipulated and wounded. 
And what they don't know how to do is allow themselves to absorb the positive input someone new is trying to give. It's like I've described it to some of my patients as an inner sponge where if someone gives you a compliment about what you have on and you disparage it by saying, I've had this thing for 10 years. Instead, you just say, thank you. So you soak up what they say. You have a little inner sponge. And then frequently what these folks will do is look to others for the answers. They'll ask things like, so what do you think this means that he said he wanted to see me again tomorrow or something like that? And the questions never stop. They are far too frightened of being manipulated again, and they don't feel like they can trust their gut. And, of course, it is something to watch for, as your picker might be broken and you might be a magnet for manipulators. But if you've worked on your self-esteem, if you know how you were manipulated, then at some point you have to choose to risk again and absorb what you're experiencing as positive. And perhaps more important, real. Again, trusting your gut that if something feels real, it is real, and it can be counted on. How does this lead to self-sabotaging the relationship? Because it's possible that the other person may tire of not being believed, or even begin to perceive you as needy when you're not. You've just been wounded and hurt, and you're scared. So I would suggest that you talk about your fear, but try to absorb the good. If you do get hurt, then so be it, but you won't be hiding A relationship can be good to have, but still may end. Important gifts can be given and received, and you may both go on your way or stay together. But when you absorb what you got that's positive from the relationship, that becomes yours to keep. This last one, self-sabotaging behavior or habit, is a little more subtle. It's not having your own expectations. Instead, you're too willing or passive And you just accept the attentions of someone else and get involved with them without really paying attention. It's when you don't have your own expectations and accept the attention of others before you allow yourself to really assess whether or not you would choose this person or not. When I hear from folks things like, I'm not sure how I wound up in this relationship or I got in way over my head and now I don't know what to do. I went through something like this when my own self-esteem hit the rocks. If someone seemed to want to be interested in me, I went along with it. And some of them were nice people, but some were not so nice. But I was struggling, and I didn't want to be alone. I finally recognized what I was doing, but not till after I'd created some chaos for myself. Loneliness is very difficult, but disentangling yourself from people that aren't the right fit for you is a different kind of difficult. Now, this can be tied in to what we were talking about as telling yourself a fairy tale, Because you can do a damn good job of making someone in your mind into what you need them to be. But I really think that being very passive and accepting the attentions of others without thinking about it is different from telling yourself a story. It's more about a little too much going with the flow, just taking the easy way. Maybe certain lifestyles are shared that promote a friendship or relationship happening. Maybe a context was there that ends. But you can wake up one day and realize that you're just going along with things. And then all of a sudden, you think, why am I here? I don't want to do this. And getting out can be hard. It can be done. But remember, the other person thought you were actually participating and choosing. So it can feel really bad to them. So here on Self Work, we almost always talk about what you can do about it. So what do you do if you find yourself using one of these patterns 
or being in this habit? The answer to this lies, of course, on the level of commitment you currently have in your relationship. Or if you're not in a relationship because of these issues, then how much do you want to change and why? I've seen committed relationships make huge changes in their dynamics if both people are invested enough in doing so. But it does usually take both people working on it. But I also want to say that figuring out the why is also very important. Why does your particular brand of self-sabotaging exist? What purpose does it serve for you? Have you been taught to think that way? And so how do you decide to change from what you've been taught? Is that habit out of hurt or past abuse? If so, have you worked on healing from that abuse? Again, I've made two of these mistakes. One, I created a fairy tale, and then, as I said, I was too inattentive or passive. And it took me years to figure it out, and it actually led to divorce. But I finally emerged from all that, seeing more clearly, trusting myself more, having higher expectations for both myself and a partner. Of course, I know I'm a therapist, but... Therapy was a godsend. I needed another objective perspective. And that's what helped. And actually, that's why I'm a therapist. Here's the listener email for today. Hello, Dr. Margaret. Herein, and she tells me the country she's in, We are under strict lockdown and cannot go outside at all unless it is for essential shopping or medical attention. We are on day 10. We live in a flat, at least with a balcony. My husband spends all day in his study reading. He comes out for dinner and then watches TV from 6 p.m. till very late. I mostly watch with him. I do the housework and the cooking. Before lockdown, we would occasionally go out for meals, and that was his way of cooking. To cut a long story short, it seems that we have really nothing in common. I've tried to interest him in Scrabble or doing a puzzle. Of course, I realize lockdown heightens issues that deep down I'd known about, but avoided by shopping or doing my own thing. He sleeps in his study in case we could infect each other, which is actually a bit ridiculous. I feel rejected. We weren't having sex before this either. He can't be bothered, he says, and says I should be happy he has a low libido. I'm angry and resentful. We never argue, which probably isn't healthy. I fear if we did, it would be the end. Maybe you have a particular podcast of yours I can refer to. I feel lonely and depressed. It comes and goes if I just focus on doing my own thing. Thank you for your podcasts and your book on perfectly hidden depression. I'm sure I'm not alone in facing a marriage crisis and a lockdown. So I told this listener to listen in today that I'd be answering her email fairly quickly, actually. And I'd actually heard from this listener before, and I don't believe she'd ever mentioned her loneliness in her marriage. Rather, she'd written to me on two occasions to thank me for certain episodes. And she identifies with perfectly hidden depression, so there's been that connection as well. I've thought often since the lockdown or shelter in place or whatever was happening in your world that there are many who are in relationships that are abusive or neglectful, angry or empty, as this one sounds, and to shelter in place rob someone of being with supportive others or going to work where things actually make more sense or you get affirmed in ways that you don't at home. So she's right. Facing a marriage that is painful is especially painful now, where there have been reasons or justifications for the relationship to continue out of fear, out of habit, out of financial need, out of shame, 
out of a faith-based reason, whatever. In fact, I was watching a funny video about the stages of a pandemic, from denial to panic to enjoyment to boredom to gratitude. But what are you supposed to do when you can't escape that you're on this journey all by yourself and that you have been for a long time? I would never try to decide or give advice in any way to make a decision to stay in or get out of a relationship for someone else. In fact, I often tell people who see me, I'm not going to tell you out and out what you should do in your relationship unless there is abuse that is literally life-threatening. And even then, there's not an easy answer. Why don't I do this? Because I won't enjoy the positives of whatever choice you make, but I also won't suffer any of the losses that you experience either. All I can do as a therapist is to try to help you see whether or not you're rationally and fully exploring your options. So again, and this is to her, do I have a podcast to recommend? I'm not sure I do. I'd probably entitle it, When is Enough Enough? or something like that. Because many of the podcasts describe a problem, but your choice to do something about it or what you do about it is obviously very personal. And I do have one that comes to mind, and that was episode 158 on apathy and living parallel lives. But knowing what to do about this is uniquely up to each of us. And again, it can depend on many things. Age, circumstances, support system, health, children, finances, so many things. What I would suggest is this. Make sure you're considering all your options instead of just saying, I couldn't do that. You're not making a true choice if you don't allow yourself to see down all the potential roads or paths available to you. So don't put up roadblocks and then not consider all the options. Many people end up doing what they first thought they could never do. They find a way because staying the same is too painful or dangerous or lonely. If you're truly considering all your options, then you can make a choice and decide to live with that choice for reasons you're clear about. But also remember this, familiar pain is still pain and you can choose what's familiar because it's known. For example, This listener has found that focusing on her own life sustains her until now. So you can choose the familiar, what's known for now, or you can choose the unfamiliar, the unknown. But that may be a little more scary. I hope this is helpful to all of you who may be in relationships that aren't what you hoped they would be. But these choices can be very difficult. And certainly I hope that this listener finds her way. Thank you so much for being here at Self Work. I cannot tell you how grateful I am for those of you who've subscribed to my newsletter or actually subscribed to my website. That's a really easy way to keep up with the podcast. And then you also get my weekly blog post. And that's it, I promise. (laughs) You can join me at drmargaretrutherford.com and that's where you can set that up. I also have a closed Facebook group that you can join at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. But don't forget to answer the questions. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I read every one of them, and I can't answer all of them, but I'll do my best to group them in ways that you'll get your answer. Thank you to so many of you who've left me reviews on iTunes for self-work. 
that is the one way people really begin to see, well, gosh, is this worth listening to? And so your comments, and the more of them there are, really help. Of course, I do have a new book out, Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression. And it is really a workbook. It has over 60 exercises to guide you. It doesn't just describe perfectly hidden depression. It helps guide you out of it slowly, carefully, and hopefully leads you to more freedom and more self-acceptance. You can get that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can contact the publisher themselves, New Harbinger. You can get it in ebook form. It's less expensive, and obviously no one can see you reading it. And if you're hiding, then that might be important to you. Thank you for letting me come into your life. Take very good care. And those words are especially important now. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.